morning and welcome to Portico. My name is Rick. I'm the campus pastor out in Milton and we're so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Every once in a while, Pastor Doug brings you back in just to check on me, make sure that I haven't gone off the rails. So I'm always glad to be here with you and worshiping with you. And uh, who remembers their very first job, the very first job you had? Anybody remember your job? I remember mine. I was 11 years old and uh, it was living. It was a. It was a very difficult financial time. I had noticed the raising, the the rising costs of Slurpees at 7-Eleven. They had just gone totally out of control. The things that used to cost 50 cents were now close to a dollar. I just I couldn't get my head around it. I used to go into the corner store and buy a package of baseball cards, and there was like 10 or 11 in there. It seemed like there was getting fewer and fewer baseball cards for what my dollar would spend, and the quality of the gum. Oh my goodness, the gum and the ba- it had gone right down. Yes, I was an 11-year-old in a 65-year-old's body thinking like that. And I thought, this is, this is, it can't be I hit a financial crisis. I'm getting a job. So I went and I looked at what kind of jobs you could get at 11 years old. And apparently you're not allowed to work at 11 years old legally in this province. But I was going to figure that one out anyway. And so I looked, it was only $5.40 an hour that they would pay me at that time. And that wasn't enough to... Uh, get my habits fixed. Yeah, I needed Slurpees and baseball cards. So I found out I, I was going to get a skilled labor job as opposed to this unskilled labor. So I, hired my, I offered my services to the local uh, baseball club and I was umpiring baseball for kindergartens, umpiring t-ball for kindergartens at $15 for a two-hour game. That was my, my very first job and I haven't been out of work since, 11 years old. No. <laughs> So you remembered your first job. How many people were paid less than $5 an hour for their first job? Hands up. Okay, keep your hands up. Was it less than $4 an hour? Less than $3 an hour? Less than $2 an hour? Less than $1 an hour? Was there a few? Can we congratulate these people that work for less than $1 an hour? And all the young people in the room are going, what on earth were you wasting your time doing working for less than $1 an hour? Do you know what the, hour, the going hourly rate is in Ontario right now? We just bumped up to 11.40 is minimum, a minimum wage. And I suppose the real question is, does that 11.40 that you receive an hour today go further than the $2 an hour you would have earned back in 1965. And I looked at the costs comparing wage to living costs. They're, they're, they, um, they made it a ratio. So what you earned in 1975, it was, um, and then they looked at what the costs of things like housing and car and education and that. And then they looked at what our wages are now. And back in 1975, you could purchase a new vehicle for $3,800. And if wages and inflation went up at the same rate. Do you know what a new car would cost today if they had risen at the same time? The average price of a new car, like a nice, just kind of a mid-sized Hyundai or Ford or something, $18,000 would be the whole cost in. You might have a brand new car today if it was only $18,000. And then they looked at education. Any students in the room, post-secondary students, you know what you're paying these days. So it costs average of $45,000 when you're all told if you finish a degree at a post-secondary institution now. If wages and costs were inflating at the same rate, your degree or your diploma would cost $8,000. That's it. You can't even get a year of school for $8,000. Do you know what a new home would cost in the GTA if wage and inflation had arisen at the same rate? 
$210,000 for a new home in the GTA. We'd have four homes at that rate right now if we could, if we could do that. So, so the, and in this study, they were looking at what the living wage is. And I don't know if you've heard this term, but it's not, it's not what, you're, um, what the minimum wage is. They say if you're going to get by on a minimum wage job, and this is for one person renting a one-bedroom condo, um, having enough for, um, enough for their, their rent, their food, and transportation, you would need to make $19 an hour. So if anyone's working for less than $19 an hour, let's unite and go on strike. No, let's not do that. <laughs> not going to incite revolt this morning. But we, we are in a brand new summer series. Well, we started last weekend, our summer series here at the church, and it's called Tales of the Kingdom. And if you're joining us online or you're here live, we're going through the parables that Jesus taught, the tales of the kingdom, and he taught them so that we would learn theology. We would learn what the kingdom of God is built upon and how it's supposed to function. And this week, we're going to go into one of the parables that he taught about workers and the wages that they received. And we're going to see the kind of economic system that Jesus was teaching and talking about 2,000 years ago. So if you have a Bible, pull out your Bible, Matthew chapter 20, uh, we're going to re- read the first 16 verses. There is where we find the parable. And your notes, if you're in the room here with us, your notes are in the bulletin. They're also on your app. So whether you're online or in the room, you can pull up the Portico app. And we support the U version, so you can find uh, the Bible passages on there as well. So let's go to the parable of the workers in Matthew chapter 20. And here's how it reads. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace, and they were doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble, understandably, against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, catch this, yet you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They're upset. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want you to give... I want to to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning that as we spend a few moments and we study your word and we look at the principles, I pray that we open up our hearts to view our world the way that you want us to view our world. God, help us to understand and live out principles of the kingdom as we look at the story that you told us, and that we would shape our lives, and it wouldn't only be for a few moments this morning, but it would be things that we would be able to live out as we go about our days and our lives and our works wherever we go. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So I want to remind you that parables were used to teach us theology. They, they're, they're to teach us how God's kingdom functions. So when we see someone represented as a king, or in this case we see someone represented as a landowner, we need to understand that that, that would be God, that would be God hiring the workers to come. So we want to put ourselves somewhere into this story, and in this case we are the workers, and we are the workers who were hired at different times, and some getting upset, and all receiving the same payment. And as we get into this text, we're going to see what we learn about the wages that we earn from following Jesus. Yes, we're going to get paid for following Jesus. So if you're taking notes, uh, whether in your app or whether pen and paper, here's your first one, you can write it down, is that God's grace meets us at our point of need. Now we read in verse 8 that when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones. This is key. Beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. And this parable uses a term that wouldn't be common language for us. That word is denarius for the work that they did. But this was a commonly used term that meant a day's wage. So what they would need to live, everything that they would have to exist, that they needed to exist, that's what they were going to be paid. Or as we looked at earlier, what the living wage would be, enough to make um, rent, enough to have food, enough to get around. Everything that they would need to exist, that's what they were going to be paid. We also need to know that culturally, it was a very normal practice for workers to go into town and wait to be hired, that there, whether it be a, a farmer or a foreman or somebody who needed workers would go into town and they would, they would hire people. So the people hearing this parable would have understood what it means for an owner, for someone with authority to come and invite people in to work. And in fact, in, in some countries and cultures today, this is a practice that still goes on. People go into town and they're hired for the day. Now, I have to break it to you. Unfortunately, this parable is not teaching us that if you stand on a street corner in Streetsville, Pastor Doug is not going to drive by and pick you up and bring you to the church and pay you everything you need for just for coming to church. That is not what this parable is teaching. You can try that. Try that. Now, on, see, see if he'll stop by on Tuesday morning. He may even like treat you to Starbucks, but I don't think he's going to pay you much more than that. This parable is not talking about monetary wages. This parable is teaching us about our spiritual needs being met, everything that we would require spiritually. Because the bill that you and I all owe is the cost that we've incurred because of sin. In God's economy, when a person sins, they cannot live in right relationship with him unless that payment is met. And the payment for sin is life. And that's why if you read the Old Testament, you'll see this practice of animal sacrifice. You think, man, that's, that's a brutal practice. Why would, they, why would they kill animals? But because of sin that the, the people had, that the people were born into, a life had to be paid. And when it was between their own life and the life of the goat that was beside them, sorry, goat, you lose. <laughs> and, and that animal was sacrificed as payment for the sin. And, and it does. It seems brutal and cruel, but it should remind us that maybe we misjudge how serious God deals with sin and disobedience. And we don't understand it the same way that they would have seen it because they would have seen the slaughter. They would have seen the death on, on, a, on a regular basis. We don't see the, the payment that was made for us, the death of Jesus, as we just uh, commemorate and we just sang about and we worship. But it's a debt that we all owe, and that was paid for us. Ecclesiastes 7 and 20 says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. 
And this parable teaches us about God's amazing grace that was delivered to humanity in the form of Jesus Christ for no other reason than he loves us so much. And Jesus took the place of the animal. Jesus took the place of you and I, and he was brutally slaughtered so that we would receive life, which is the scripture in your notes, Romans 6 and 23. So when the landowner went out and he hired people in, he paid them all the denarius. Regardless of when they came, he paid everything for them. And God's grace meets us exactly where we need it. That's the gift that's offered to everyone here. Regardless of when you've come, whether this is your first day here, whether you've been in church for a thousand years and you feel like you were born here and this is old hack, this is the gift that God has for us. God's grace meets us at our point of need. Now that's the inclusive part of this parable. We're going to push a little bit deeper into this story. It might get a little uncomfortable for us because as we see, we're going to find ourselves in the lives of the workers. So if you don't like when church gets pushy, just slip out now to the washroom and then come back in about 15 minutes and we'll be all done. But as we go, we go further, God's grace, we see, is not merited by our service. We read in verses 9 and 10 before that the workers who were hired at 5 in the afternoon, they came and they received the same thing as those who were hired earlier. And the ones who were hired earlier, catch it, they expected to receive more because they had been serving longer. I read an article this week about a family that lived in Colorado, or they live in Colorado, and they have a summer home in California. So they take the summers off and live in California. How many would like to live that life? <laughs> you regularly you regularly live in like a beautiful skiing mountain resort all year long and then the summer you go to california not my world but more power to them so last year i guess this this family wasn't able to go visit their summer home in the month of july so they rented out the home there was a family that rented it and they signed the contract they were there from july 1 to july 31st and then then they were done and no one rented it in in august so the family didn't go down and visit and so this year June 30th hits, and they're traveling down, and they're getting ready to be there for Independence Day weekend, and they show up July 1st to their summer home, and surprise, surprise, the family that rented it last July is still in the home. They haven't left. They had rented it for one month, and they had now lived 12 consecutive months in this property. Who has rights to that home, you know? Now, technically... The owners of the home, the family from Colorado, still have rights to this home. But as they're discovering, it's going to take months of litigation and thousands of dollars into the court system to ever get the right to forcefully remove the family who is squatting in their home. They have some rights. Why? They were there first. In our world, when you're there first, it matters. It means something. When it came time to pay in this parable, the workers who had been there longer, who had been working more, they they had earned their wage. They expected to receive more. That's how our world works, right? We're looking at the way that the kingdom of God works, the tales of the kingdom. And the landowner shocks them, and he says, you all receive the exact same thing, which should be an amazing message for us, that, that an unbelievable thing, like, wow, what a grateful, what, what a grace-filled landowner that gives all of us the same thing. And it was clear that he wanted us all to know this, and he wanted all the workers to know that, because if he had been wise and he didn't want to really create conflict, he would have had those who worked first come and receive what they were paid, and then 
usher them off, and then the ones that came in at nine, he would pay them and then shoot them off this way, and then kind of under the table, they went, guys, I'm going to pay you the same thing. Just kind of keep your mouth shut. But he, but he doesn't do that. He wants everybody to see that everybody received the exact same payment because that's who he is. And he says, it's my, it's my money. It's my gift that I give. And my, you're, not only does God's grace meet us where we need it, as all of us need it, we can't do anything to earn it. It's not merited by anything that we do. Here's what we see in Ephesians 2 and 9. This is Paul writing to the New Testament church. For it is by grace, it's only by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works. It's nothing that we do so that no one can boast. And listen, we hope that the longer that you and I serve Christ, the more our lives will look like his, that we will continually be growing in our righteous living and our self-sacrifice in our knowledge of God. We hope that our lives change over time and we look more like him. And then we start to feel like maybe we deserve something. And we start to create this hierarchy in church of our mindset that those who look and act more like God wants us to, that we deserve preferential treatment. And we start to forget what it looked like when we first encountered God's grace. And we start to forget the amazing nature of God's grace. That it doesn't matter what we do, how we live. We all receive the same measure of grace. And nothing we do merits that. Nothing we do can earn that. See, after Jesus was going to return to heaven, he knew that the disciples would face this head on. Because up until this time, God's, up until the time that the, that the disciples had lived, God's grace had only been offered to the Jews. They were God's chosen people. So then Jesus, he encounters a Roman official, the Romans who had oppressed the Jewish people. They, they hated them. They thought Jesus was going to come and free them from that. And he says, I'm going to heal the Roman official's uh, servant, and I'm going to show that God's grace is going to extend to people that you think you're to hate and you think you're to be separate from. I'm going to show my grace to different people. And then Peter has to face this same challenge when the Holy Spirit comes and talks. And this is a passage you may want to read on your own about when, Jesus, uh, encou- when Peter encounters the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to eat what you used to think was unclean. It's clean now. And I want you to go to Cornelius' home, the Roman official. I want you to start to extend grace to people you would have never considered extending grace to. It's when Jesus met the prostitute and everyone else wanted to stone her. He said, has anyone not sinned? Then I don't condemn her either. And then he looks and says, Go. Your grace. He extends grace and sin no more. People who had never earned their place in God's kingdom were now being extended grace because we forget, we think, maybe I've earned something because I've been here long enough. Any Blue Jays fans in the room? Hands up high. Yeah, that's right. We're on like a, well, we were on like an eight-game win streak or something like that. What an amazing 12 months it has been to be a Blue Jays fan. Once those trades happened last year and we've been one of the best teams in all Major League Baseball and, and we see if you're a long-suffering Blue Jays fan and like you suffered through the years when your hero was John McDonald, the five foot eight shortstop who batted 220, but he tried really hard, so we, we cheered for him. And, and when we had uh, Ricky Romero, who looked like he was going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, and that lasted about a year, and then he couldn't even pitch at all. He couldn't hit the strikes. And we suffered for years and years. And then last year, finally, they make the playoffs, and we have that bat flip moment, and we have this big cheering. And then we look right beside us, 
and there's a 15-year-old kid in a, in a fashion Blue Jays cap, Wyburn turned to the side, and he's, yay, I love those Blue Jays. And we think, you haven't been here as long as I've been here. You haven't suffered like I've suffered. You don't deserve to cheer. Like, we think we've earned something. We think we've earned the right. No, we celebrate together because we're all in this. We're, we're all united. This is the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter when you come in. It doesn't matter. The, the landowner kept going back and inviting more and more people in and was going to extend the same grace to everyone. You get this in your work world too. You think the longer you work in an organization, the more history you have, the more times you do a job right over and over. You earn respect. You earn authority. You earn your place So then we bring that to church and we say, hey, the more times I've been to church, the more times that I've done the right thing, the more times I've tithed, the more times I've served, you still haven't earned your place here. (laughs) The only reason we're here and the only reason we can celebrate communion, the only reason we can sing that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, is because Jesus chose to extend it to us. We don't earn that grace. This is a gift that's open for everyone. And we don't have the right to say that. Do you, ever, do you ever catch yourself in those moments? You're like starting to pray and you come to God and you've got to like make your case why God's going to listen to you. You go, Lord, you know I regularly sacrifice my Sunday morning sleep-ins for you. And you know that I tithe, I give 10%, not only on my paycheck, but also on my tax return and on that lotto ticket I won last week for $10. I gave that loony, Lord. You saw that. I know you did. And I serve in the kids' ministry, and even the kids with the runny noses, I don't exclude them. You've seen this, Lord. Your servant is faithful. (laughs) So with that in mind, God, could you have my supervisor, like, moved or fired? or You don't need to kill him or anything, but, (laughs) but can you just have him move because I don't deserve this. Amen. I'll see you Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me. It doesn't matter what we do, but, but we start to put this measurement of, of if I do it, then I've, I've gained rights. None of us has squatter's rights in the kingdom of God. And this is a place where anyone and everyone who says, I want to know God. I want, I, want, I want to find out who God is. You have equal standing here. We are all equal in the kingdom. We have equal ability to come and worship and to figure out who God is and to question and to participate. This is an equal place. This is the kingdom of God. Then there are no names on the chairs. <laughs> Your history doesn't matter. It doesn't earn you a special place. We're all called equal. And this gets us to our last point is that God's grace mystifies our sense of equity. What we would call equitable, absolutely blown away. We read it in verse 12. Because those who were hired and worked only one hour, they said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You've made them equal to us. They were mad. And I bet you he looked back with a smile and said, you're darn right I did. (laughs) Here's the thing. By human standards, that complaint makes sense. In our world, it seems to make sense. But by God's standards, equal is not equitable. Equal would have been hourly pay, differentiated reward and remuneration for the workers. Equity equity meant anyone and everyone who agreed to work received the same reward. means everyone that says yes to Jesus receives the same grace, receives the same openness to come and follow him. I love 
this church. This is a place where yesterday, a bunch of us, we joined together with about 200 Muslims in the gym across the hall, and we said, we're going to celebrate Eid al-Fitr together. Did I say that right? Close enough? <laughs> we're going to celebrate Eid al-Fitr together. You know why? We want to invite you into a place and express the love of Jesus to you. And we shared the parable of the Good Samaritan, where it wasn't that those who seemed to share faith the parable of the Good Samaritan, where when the, when the Levite passes by and, the, and the, the Pharisee passes by, the one who needed care. But it was the one who didn't share faith that showed love that Jesus called them brothers. Jesus called them together. And so they walked together. And we were able to celebrate together that we're on a journey to find out who God is. And if you're open to that, you have just as much place in the kingdom to walk together to find God as I do. If anyone desires to know God. And sometimes that rattles us a little bit because we say, no, I've earned my place. I've got a different standing with God. No, God's grace meets us at our point of need and it's not merited by our service and it begins to mystify our sense of equity. Last weekend in the city of Toronto, we saw it was Pride Week and the LBGTQ community was there celebrating and the prime minister and the police department made bold steps to make sure that this community would know that they were accepted and supported. Boy, I hope Portico continues to be a church where any person, regardless of faith, race, gender, sexual orientation, I hope that anyone who says, I want to find out who God is, they can find their place here. Because that's the tale of the kingdom, is that anyone that wants to find God has space and is offered the same grace. Do you know what the mission of our church is? What's our, what's, what's our mission statement? Who knows? Oh, they got this. You've done this. <laughs> Helping people find their way back to God. You know, sometimes we forget and we mess it up a little bit and we think it's helping people who already found their way back feel comfortable. <laughs> we, like having, we like having church. We like, we like it to fit us if we've been here longer. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we compromise any of our standards on our faith. God has called us to service. God has called us to lay down our lives if we want to accept him our lives will be changed every day. Our lives should be eternally being shaped more and more. We should be turning more and more of who we are over to the Holy Spirit and say, examine any area of my life. And if you need to change that, you need to bring that back into perfection, into creation. We should every day look more and more like Jesus. That is the journey that you and I have as we find our way back to God. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm not saying that we don't, we don't do that. But I am saying this is that when you start the journey, you may need a little more grace. My wife showed me a picture a year ago, and it's something they're using in the, in the Peel District School Board, and we'll just throw it on the side screens there. But it's this image of what equity can look like. And if we all want to participate, we may need a little more grace. And I wish that that guy on the left had a box as well, because in God's kingdom, we all need a box. None of us get there without being able to stand on a box. But some of us may need a lot more grace right now, because we have, this is the first day that you've ever encountered this message. God's grace meets you at your point of need. This literally may be, you may be 80 years into this, but you still need grace so that we can all look into the kingdom and we can all be a part of that. If you know the Bible, there's this prophet named Jonah and he was called and sent to the city of Nineveh. Go and read it for yourselves this week. It's just a short book in the Bible, but it's, it's an unbelievable story. Nineveh's in where modern-day Iraq is, and he was saying, go call those people to repentance. And Jonah says, I don't want to go see those people because they're, they're evil, they're mean, they don't deserve it. So he, he runs, and he, he goes the other way, but then God brings him back in a big fish. And Great story. <laughs> 
But when he does share the love of God with them, here's what happens in Jonah 3 and 10, 4 and 1. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Ooh. Jonah looked at a group of people and said, you don't deserve God's grace. I've been called. I was called in early in the morning, and I've been here. I deserve God's grace. He looked at the people who were still out in the marketplace and said, you don't deserve it. What did the landowner do? Even at five o'clock, just before the day was ending, people who have been standing there all day, he said, you come. I have grace for you. I have a gift for you. I have a wage I'm going to pay you. Free of charge, God's grace is offered to all of us. Reflection question for you this morning. Is there a person in your world, whether you work with them, family member, or is there a community that you look at and you've categorized them in your mind as not worthy of receiving God's grace? Neither you nor I, nor anyone has ever earned grace, has ever earned mercy. The equity of God is this. It offers just enough grace and mercy as we need it. Regardless of the state you walk in to that first encounter with God, there's enough for you to be made right and whole with him. The band is softly playing a song behind me, and we're going to sing it in a moment. We're going to reflect on our own lives and the way that we extend grace. And we're going to take some time to reflect and maybe even repent. But here's what the words say. Faith makes a fool of what makes sense. But grace found my heart where logic ends. And it makes no sense. But this is grace. And I know that you're with me in this place. Maybe you're in church or you're watching online. And you've disqualified yourself from receiving grace. Here's the message this morning. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've experienced up until this point. Jesus offers grace to you and says, come into my kingdom. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's late. You're going to be offered the same thing that everyone else is offered. Here's what we read, 1 Timothy 1 and 16. Paul was a murderer. Paul hated the church. And here's what he wrote. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's the gift for any one of us here this morning. So the band's going to play this song. I'm just going to ask you to reflect. And Pastor Doug's going to come back and close us out at the end. But two things to think about, to journal on, to consider as you take home. Who am I currently finding it difficult to extend God's grace to? Lord, forgive us. And for those of you, maybe you're in a little bit different place. Am I able to forgive myself and receive the grace in the same way that God extends it to me? Because God's grace meets us just where we need it, unmerited. And it mystifies us. It's what should characterize the lives of those who follow him. This is the lesson of the parable of the workers. great reminder this morning that the Spirit of God is always striving with men. He's here now. 
And thank you, Pastor Rick, for reminding us of the truth of God's Word. Jesus teaching out so powerfully for us that no matter who we are, God's grace is always available for us. And if you're in the room today and you're one of those individuals and you've had that checklist of if I get my life straightened out this way or if I do this or if I start to have a checklist of things that I attend and I give and I support, maybe God will receive me. I hope you hear the message. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, listen, that God's grace is free. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to work for it. That's what mystifies all of us. And it's here now for you. And around here, we just talk about saying yes to Jesus. That means you trust him with your life. You give your life to him. And we invite you to make a decision like that. And every week we ask people to do that and then stop at our yes station. We're here to help. That's what we do. And people are back there and they just want to talk to you about that. But equally, that for the rest of us, and I'm one of them, we've been following Jesus for a while, that we would never forget that God's grace is deserved whether it's one day or 365 days or 35 years. God's grace is given freely to all of us. Isn't that good? And that's the grace of God today. I'll go ahead, give him a hand. So join me. Let's pray together. So Father here right now as the song has invited us to do Holy Spirit remind us that your grace is available and I just pray for those that are maybe watching online or in the room right here listening or over in the overflow that we would not put up any barrier, any hurdle, any obstacle that there would be no reason that we would discount ourselves from experiencing your grace your grace is free you gave it to us because we could never earn it. So I pray that men and women, young adults today, would just receive that in a free way and just say, thank you, Jesus, and say yes to you and in a few moments stop at the yes table. And God, I pray that we also would be a church that as we have been reminded from your word that we would all be about helping people find their way back to God and we would never, ever put an obstacle in the way of another person. Let your grace reign free in this place. And I pray it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.